Explore Milwaukee's past and its future, one building at a time. This is Urban Spelunking with On Milwaukee's Bobby Tanzillo and me, Nate Immig, from 88.9. All right, Bobby. This we were uh, we were debating if this episode is more edutainment or infotainment, and I think we landed at infotainment because we're talking about malls and the very first mall ever in the Milwaukee area in 1951. This is Milwaukee's first mall, Southgate Mall on 27th Street. You know the area, of course, right by Leon's, uh, somewhere between like Morgan and Oklahoma on 27th Street, and yeah, Southgate Mall, Milwaukee's first mall. Is there is there something that's called nostalgiatainment? <laughs> yes, this is the nostalgia <laughs> infotainment. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah. So Southgate was the first um, the first mall in Milwaukee, and it was planned by Curtis Freydert, who made his money in malt. We talked about Freydert malting when mm-hmm. we talked about malt yep. a couple of years ago. Um, so he made his money in malting, and um, then diversified into real estate and made more money, um, and it was through his real estate business that he planned to open multiple shopping centers, which were becoming all the rage around the country in the area. And he opened Southgate first, and then he opened Westgate, which was uh, renamed Mayfair just before it actually mm-hmm. opened. Yeah. And then the third one was, was Bayshore mall. Um, and all of them were outdoor malls originally as was Southgate um, and ultimately entirely enclosed um, and later we can, I guess, discuss the return to the reopening of the mall huh? to the outside. So this was a this is a really popular thing. I mean, malls were sweeping the country. In fact, um, when this mall opened, when Southgate opened in 1950, it drew like tens of thousands of people to the opening. Right, a huge crowd came out. Yeah, it opened on September 20th, 1951, and more than 60,000 people showed up, and the traffic was wow. snarled in both directions on 27th Street. Yeah. Um, and we should mention, of course, that 27th Street um, is and was Highway 41, which at the t- which is a key fact in the development of Southgate, because um, pre-interstate highway system, Highway 41 was a, a major, major thoroughfare, like nationally i mean people yeah. like if you were lived in milwaukee and you wanted to go to florida you took highway 41 you got on 27th street and went south <laughs> wow wow yeah <laughs> you know and of I mean? course like, yeah and to chicago too right i mean right, it, right. Like, so this was you know this was this was the equivalent of building your mall on like on the on the side of i-94 you know good spot for milwaukee's first mall absolutely absolutely so 1951 it closes in 1999 so it had a pretty long history there and of course was part of that uh that early wave of malls hitting the city as uh milwaukee joined the the mall craze in the 50s in the second part of our conversation bobby we're going to talk about a guy by the name of dixie blandy who uh was taking advantage of this popularity when the mall opened with a really interesting publicity stunt and attempt to set a world record. We're going to talk about that next, plus more about the other malls in Milwaukee and how Southgate kind of sparked this development in the city. That's next on Urban Spelunking. It's the most charitable time of year, and we have a way for you to give a gift to Radio Milwaukee and yourself. Donate your unwanted car, truck, motorcycle, or boat, and let us take it off your hands. Your gift will support the music and stories you enjoy every day, and it may even qualify you for a tax deduction. Visit RadioMilwaukee.org slash cars to schedule your free donation pickup today. All right. We are back on Urban Spelunking talking about Milwaukee's very first mall, Southgate Mall. We mentioned in the first half, Bobby, that, that what was it, 60,000 people showed up to the opening of this mall in 1951. 
Yeah, isn't that crazy? Can you imagine? Yeah. How many people that is? So <laughs> that that's like just shy of a brewer's crowd, right? Or no, it's more than a, it'd that's, be more than a, way more than a brewer's crowd. Yeah, that'd yeah. be more than a brewer's crowd. Yeah. It's getting close to double what the stadium can even hold, you know. So there to take advantage of this huge crowd and all this exposure was a guy named Dixie Blandy. Yeah. Tell us about Dixie Blandy. What was his deal? Well, first I'm going to just say that the you know at the sixty thousand people that showed up, I mean, you can imagine what the what the scene was like because the street was backed up with traffic. There's oh yeah, people yeah. Probably arriving on foot also and from buses, just you know from everywhere. They had polka bands playing. There were Native. I'm American, sure Leon's was slammed. Right. There were Native American <laughs> dancers. Alice in Dairyland was there. Um, wow. There were fireworks, and then there was Dixie Blandy who was a 124-pound guy from Dayton, Ohio, who had um, set a record for pole pole standing. That's P-O-L-E standing. Um, pole standing. Pole standing. And he had already had the record for six days and six nights standing on top of a five-inch disc on top of a pole. Now, you can imagine how what? small a, a 45 RPM record is seven inch disc. So it's two inches smaller than that. He stood on top of this pole for six days and six nights. So he came to So so this disc he gets on top of this fifty foot like a telephone pole, right? Yeah, basically it's a climbs up there and stands on a tiny little disc, five inch disc. Yeah. For how long? Six days and six nights, but I should clarify. I should clarify here, though, that when I when we say world record, I'm doing the finger quotes because apparently nobody was actually keeping track of these uh, so-called records except for Dixie Blandy himself. (laughs) (laughs) So Dixie Blandy getting a corner on this uh, cornering this market here. We may or may not want to take that with a grain of salt. Um, All right, fair enough. But still very impressive. Here we are, still impressed by it, right? In 2022, I couldn't stand on a five-inch disc on the ground for more than like five minutes without just <laughs> losing my mind. And he was apparently doing it 50 feet up on a pole. How he secured himself from falling, I, I couldn't begin to know. Um, but, you know, he so he came here as, and he wanted to set the record for standing on a 12-inch rubber disc atop a 50-foot pole. I don't know why the 12-inch after, it seems to be mm. going backwards once you've been on a 5-inch disc. Why bother trying to set a record for the 12 inch disc? Well, the rubber must be really flexible, right? I mean, that must be like a balance challenge on top of it. Good point. See, this is is why you're here. You're the brains of the the operation. (laughs) To to solve this Dixie Blandy mystery, huh? So, anyway, he he was saying, he was telling the media that he was going to try and set this record, but but the mall uh, developers were kind of hedging a little bit because the freighter, uh, team had deemed that it was illegal to have these kinds of, uh, endurance contests in the state of Wisconsin. So they weren't promoting it as a record sending attempt or anything like that. I think to them, it was just sort of like a, they're promoting it as just sort of a stunt. Um, but he said, I'm going for this record. Uh, And he told, uh, one of the newspapers, he said, but he said, even though he weighed only 124 pounds, he said, by the fourth day, it feels as though I weigh 200 pounds and it, and it's hard on my feet. You think? <laughs> it's hard on his feet. Be, I think it'd be hard on your head if you fell. Right. I, I was, can you imagine like a, a company like that now um, allowing that to go down at the opening of a business? Like imagine if you fell and, and right. died in front of all those people. I can't imagine them allowing it on their property at any time. 
ever. <laughs> At any time, you know, period. <laughs> can you imagine that? You know, the mall, the mall cops would be on this on a guy like this in, in a minute. <laughs> well, Dixie Blandy, I guess, made it right. I mean, do we know how he, how, if he set the record? Find, I did not find any reports afterward to to say he did or didn't set the record. Um, I also didn't see any articles that you definitely would have seen about him falling and killing himself. So uh, presumably, he whether or not he set the record, he apparently did not die. <laughs> okay, well, at least we can feel good about that. Yes, yes. So Southgate, you, you mentioned, evolves over the years. It uh, was open until 1999. Uh, it's enclosed. I guess, what, what came next for the mall after that 50s mall craze, uh, like 70s, 80s? Well, it's interesting that in 51 it opens, 54 the Gimbals opens there, the big box Gimbals store, department store. Um, okay. A few mm-hmm. years later they added like 14 more stores. Um, but then in 1970, Southridge opens, which is much bigger. Mm. And Northridge, you know, is around the same time. Um, a lot of competition. A lot of competition. And, and Southridge is fairly close you know, to Southgate in, in that it's going to draw from a lot of the same, uh, potential customers. And, you know, Southridge is two stories, sprawls much bigger. It's got, it's totally enclosed. It's got, um, at least three department stores, right? Cause it had one on the, it had a Sears and it had a Boston store and it had, probably a gimbals on the south end. Mm, yeah. And then they also had the coals on the west on the east side. So I mean it had so much more to offer than than Southgate did. So Southgate, they spend a million and a half dollars in 1970 and 71 to enclose the mall, create which basically doubles the amount of stores they can have because now where it used to be open, you could put a whole nother flank of stores on the other side. Sure. Yeah. What is now the corridor. Um they put in carpeting. They put in the water feature because it's not shopping unless there's a Baldwin Brook. <laughs> that's the one thing I definitely remember about malls when I was a kid <laughs> was just being dazzled by the waterfalls and the indoor trees and the right. uh, the the yeah the water features and I remember people throwing all the coins in the in the fountains. I think it was an early admission that shopping could be stressful, right? That they needed to like <laughs> that it wasn't going to be a completely joyous experience. You know that you maybe needed to have some sort of serenity kind of added yeah, to the maybe. mix and not going yeah. um but so then they, you know they enclosed them all trying to keep up with competition but i don't think they ever really um they never really overcame that you know and at one point gimbal's closed and then um a year or so later boston store opened there for a while um but it just wasn't the same anymore there had been too much you know by then mayfair is enclosed and much bigger there's south ridge there's north ridge um by the early eighties grand Avenue opens downtown Brookfield square has opened. There's just so much more competition for shopping. And it's ironic because all of these malls, when they opened really kind of killed the neighborhood shopping street, right? I mean, Mitchell street on the South side, Mm -hmm. uh, third street now King drive on the, you know, on the North side. Um, And some of the same stores too, we're talking about gimbals, right? used to be the neighborhood store. And yeah. And W if you look at the, the list of stores in um, Southgate, you know, they had a they had a Samson's TV and Appliance, which was also downtown, I believe. They had um, uh, a Crambo. There was a there were Crambos all over the city. Um, What's a Crambo? They were like grocery stores. Okay. And th- there was one in Bayview. Uh, folks will recognize the old Crambo in Bayview. It's next to the McDonald's. It looks like an old grocery oh, store building okay. in the parking lot of the McDonald's. 
on KK there. Um, I'll keep an eye out for that Crambo. But then there's a Grants, like a WT Grants. There was one of those on King Drive, you know, in North Avenue. The building is actually still there, and it still says Grants on it. But so that, like you said, there are a lot of the same stores. So people, if they went to one place, they didn't really need to go to all these other places. They just would go to whatever was the best and most convenient shopping area, which, you know, in cold <laughs> Wisconsin was probably something more like Southridge or Northridge or, you know. Um, yeah, and it's interesting you were talking about, you know, it being enclosed and we might skip over that word, what a key word that is in the story because this, you know, this was built as an outdoor mall. Right. And, and it was so pioneering at the time, but then uh, you said that malls kind of got quickly a lot better right after being, you know, built as enclosed. Right. And now we're almost seeing kind of that full circle where malls are kind of outside again, right? Well, isn't that ironic? It's funny that like, <laughs> you look at like, take Bayshore, for example, which started as one of these three freighter built malls and it was an outdoor mall and they enclosed it to, to yep. follow the kind of trend at the time and what was required. And now it's an outdoor mall again. And not only is it, it's an entirely outdoor mall again. They even tore, I mean, up until recently, they still had an indoor component, but that got torn down for the target. Um, but it's also interesting that they call these malls town squares. Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. like the Drexel Town Square in Oak Creek. Also, um, the corners they're of trying to right the corners of Brookfield. They're trying to recreate the very thing that malls kind of killed in the fifties and sixties and seventies. Right, was was the town the basically the equivalent of the town square shopping experience? Shopping along Mitchell Street, shopping along King Drive, shopping along uh, Burleigh on the northwest side, uh, shopping on the Avenue, Grand Avenue. Right, I mean in the Every generation older than me remembers going downtown to shop on the weekend and you'd go to the quote unquote, the Avenue, which was Wisconsin Avenue. And there were shops lining the place for blocks on both sides. There were multiple department stores, you know, all kinds of stuff that just went away really when the malls came, when the suburban malls came and took all that business out of the city. Well, such an interesting component of Milwaukee's history, how these malls not only, you know, were were a destination and a place to go, but also reflected what was going on kind of nationally and reflecting Milwaukee's taste, of course. And, you know, a lot of these malls have come and gone, but some remain. And, and you know, these other gates that Freighter started, uh, Bayshore and Westgate becoming Mayfair, uh, this is still, these still exist today. It is interesting to see the, the full circle, right? And like you said, it really, I mean, this is, this is not a story unique to Milwaukee. You know, Milwaukee's not the only city whose, you know, uh, neighborhood shopping districts were kind of killed by retail, by malls. Um, and now malls are struggling in a lot of places too. It's, it's a national, it's a whole kind of national trend. The problem for the malls now, of course, is online shopping, right? Is Amazon and, and people buying everything on the internet. Well, all this talk about malls, I like. I, I want a, a pretzel or something. <laughs> you <laughs> want an orange Julius? <laughs> yeah, orange Julius. One of those big cookie cake things. I could see it. <laughs> yeah, we, we should have done this actually at the mall and had an orange Julius. Can you do that? Is there? Does it? Oh, Mayfair has an orange Julius still, don't they? You know, I don't even know. I think they might. We're looking for a sponsor here on Urban Spelunking, so orange, orange Julius. Julius. Uh, <laughs> Well, podcasts here on 88.9 are produced by Kenny Perez. And take a moment and rate and review the podcast. We'd love to hear your feedback on this and all of 88.9's podcasts. We've got a bunch of them. One about film, Cinnabuds with Milwaukee Film and uh, Justin Barney. We've got Tariq Moody and Milwaukee Magazine. This Bites, a food podcast. And then, of course, our music podcast with Evan Retleski and um, Milwaukee Journal Sentinels. 
Piet Levy. They host Tapped In, all about music. So you can find them all at radiomilwaukee.org slash podcasts and do subscribe. We're, we're here, Bobby, every week with a different building. And next week, we're talking about uh, a bar. In fact, we're, we're going to be doing a couple different bars in Urban Spelunking during the month of March. That's right, because it's bar month, the annual yes. bar month on Milwaukee. So my Spelunking stories all month will be um, featured on, uh, one of them is not a bar now, but is it a building that was a bar? Um, one or two of them are bars now, and at least one is a really, really cool old um, cocktail lounge and restaurant, the building of which survives, but the, the business is long gone, but it's super fun. I think people really like it. Well, I look forward to that. I, I know I was out with you doing some some interviewing and gathering at a very popular place in River West. So yes. looking forward to bringing that story out in March as well. So do subscribe if you're not already a subscriber to the Urban Spelunking Podcast. Make sure you follow us and get a new episode delivered to you every Tuesday. All right, Bobby, talk to you next week. Talk to you next week.